thanks for joining us today on the Jesus Famous Podcast. Hey, today we're talking about marriage, but maybe in a way that sounds a little peculiar to you. Um, You see, the majority of us are familiar with the culture's vision for marriage, you know, to find fulfillment and joy in another person. But today we're talking about Jesus' vision for marriage, which is to display Jesus' love for the church. Now, don't get me wrong, Christian marriage isn't void of romance at all, but when the romance does fail, when it fizzles out, we as Christians get to remember that there is still a purpose in marriage, and it's to bring glory to God. So today, we're going to go with Pastor Nate to the book of Ephesians to talk about this great truth that our marriages aren't built on just romance alone, but on this vision um, to display the love of Christ for the church. It's not that marriage between men and women was first and then God was like, oh, that's such a cool picture. I'm going to borrow that for my relationship with them. No, it's the other way around. Marriage became a way to express what he wanted between himself and people. I've been loving these Ephesians studies. I feel like anytime you put out one, I'm always hoping to talk about it. But this one in particular is really cool because it's about husbands and wives. It's more of a recap, though, of some things that you mentioned earlier on um, in Ephesians. But I wanted to ask about this particular like couplet of two verses in Ephesians about marriage. Um, they're in chapter 5. Why, why did Paul talk about marriage in this portion of Ephesians. Can you kind of give us some context for why he jumped into some kind of marriage advice? Oh yeah, sure. I'd be happy to do so. Ephesians is about the new humanity that Christ created through the cross and his subsequent resurrection and ascension. So the idea, the big idea of Ephesians is that Jesus, that, that, that God through Christ is uniting all things to himself. Yeah. So this whole like new creation, this whole thing that he's doing where he's moving us to a final conclusion where he's the head and his kingdom is fully seen and fully known and fully realized. Mm-hmm. The book of Ephesians is about that. And the real vision that Paul has in the book of Ephesians is of the ascended Christ and that Jesus in heaven is like the head of of a body. Hmm. So your brain is telling your body what to do right now. You're right. giving me a nice little cheesy smile. You're trying to <laughs> affirm me visually. So I'll keep talking across the table. Your head is telling your body to do that. Yeah. And Paul's vision of Jesus in the book of Ephesians is, is that, mm-hmm. that he is in heaven. You can't see him right now. He's invisible to us. He's behind the real legitimate veil, as Hebrews would say. He's in heaven. But from heaven, he is our head and trying to lead and direct his body, which is called the church, or like I like to say it with the book of Ephesians, his new humanity. All right, so as he's leading that group and being our head, operating, trying to communicate his will so that we'll follow him and do what he wants us to do, so we won't be a dysfunctional body, that the head says to the hand, pick that up, and the hand doesn't respond. Mm-hmm. He wants us to be a responsive people who are living out what our head is telling us to do here That's on good. earth. 
So he does a few things. Ephesians 4, he gives to the church from heaven certain gifts. The gifts are not spiritual gifts. He talks about those in other letters. The gifts in Ephesians 4 are people, Hmm. word-based messengers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So he, as the head, wants to tell the body how to be and what to do, so he gives word-based messengers to the Mm. church. And then he tells them at the end of chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, he talks to them about, look, you're a new creature, so you're not supposed to act like the world around you or the world that you used to be part of. Mm -hmm. So now you have to put on your newness that you have in Jesus, put on Christ, take off certain things though also. So put off lying, put on the truth. And he's got a list of five or six different things that we're to put off and then Mm -hmm. subsequently put on. Then in Ephesians 5, he starts talking about how we're to walk in God's, you know, since God is a love, we're to be loving. Since God is light, though, we're also to be filled with his light and his truth. So we're not just a sappy, sentimental, or compassionate people with no beliefs, but we're also not a harsh, uh, pharisaical Mm. people who are only standing for the truth, but without any sympathy or without any compassion or love. We're a mix of both of those things because of who God is, who our head is, and the way he would inform us and tell us how Mm. to live. Okay, so when he gets to Ephesians 5 and 6, there's like these three groups in Paul's mind that he loves so much that in all three of these groups have had their whole worlds turned upside down because of Jesus, because Mm. of the gospel. And the three groups that he thinks about are women, Mm. younger people, children, and slaves or the impoverished or the working class. Mm -hmm. All right. So any informed person today is going to say women are important. Yeah. They, men are not better than women. You know, any informed person is going to say that. An informed person is going to say children are important. Yep. They're valuable. They should be cherished. And an informed person is going to say, you know, people of lower classes who are Mm -hmm. poor, struggling with poverty, the working class, they are important as well. Mm -hmm. God values them. God loves them. But the thing that we need to remember is, for most of humanity, people didn't feel that way. Yeah, people didn't sure. think like that. So Paul comes along to these three groups that Jesus so radically identified with. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was working class. Yeah. He became a child, but he also did not forbid the children to come to him. And he put women on his ministry mm-hmm. team and cared for them. Obviously, it had, had different roles for them than he did mm-hmm. for his male disciples uh, because he still regarded those differences in roles, but he wanted them to shine yeah, and be everything that God had meant for them to be as women. So Paul comes along and he's thinking, man, okay, Jesus is our head. He's up there in heaven. He's dictating how this new humanity, the church operates. So 
what am I going to do? I need to talk to these people. And of course, he's being led by the Spirit. I need to talk to these people. I need to talk to the Ephesians. I need to talk to subsequent generations of the church about how marriage and family and workplace are supposed to go mm-hmm. if Jesus is governing the affairs that are happening there. And uh, when he does it, he's showing like this is how Jesus wants mm-hmm. these things to take place. And the fascinating thing in all of them is that because because most a lot of times the way people respond to these categories still today. So you've yeah. got genders, you've got different generations, mm-hmm. you know, young and old, and you've got different classes, mm-hmm. societal classes. Usually what people will do today is they'll try to get them to war against each other. Yeah. Or they'll try to eliminate the distinctions. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as male or female. There should be no, you know, uh, we should, the classes should all have the same amount, you know, right. things like that. Mm-hmm. But these things do exist. And rather than creating a war between the genders or the generations or the classes, or rather than act like they don't exist or shouldn't exist, Jesus has a totally different plan. He wants the women and men, the young, the old, the slaves, the masters, he wants all of them to shine, to be their redeemed, Christ-like, sanctified version of themselves. So that's why he talks about marriage here so cool. in Ephesians 5. That's why he's touching on it in this place is because Jesus is the head. Yeah. So we should have marriages that are informed right. by our head, Jesus Christ. You have a couple of different points here in the article I thought we could just go over um, for a few minutes. The one... Um, the first one says marital oneness has actually served as one massive prophecy pointing to the union Christ would have with his bride, the church. I love that. that There's like this picture of marriage glorifying, um, this relationship between Christ and the church. Um, that is like a bit of like a mysterious concept though. Would you mind kind of telling us about that? How, how does marriage point others to Jesus? Yeah. So Paul said in Ephesians 5, 32 he said this mystery is profound and i'm saying that it refers to christ and the church Hmm. so he's he's talking about how you know husbands and wives are to relate to each other and the oneness that we have together and then he's he's kind of gives this announcement like when a married couple, because right before verse 32, he talked about the original marriage, Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. and how the two became right. one flesh. So what he's saying is the church is one with Jesus. So it's like there's this reality that when a married couple operates in tandem and in complement to one another, uh, the, the husband is doing what the husband is supposed to do, the wife is doing what the wife is supposed to do, it's a picture of what the church is supposed to be with Jesus. Mm. So that whole headship thing that I talked about where Jesus is our head, well, it's funky when the church just ignores Jesus yeah, and just does its own thing. You look at that union and you say, man, not very unified. Mm. Same thing in a marriage. When a marriage has, uh, especially a Christian marriage, has 
you know, two people that are supposed to be one flesh, but they act like two individual people with their own different agendas. You can't look at that and say, man, look, that's how the church is supposed Mm. to be with Jesus. But when that's happening, Paul says, it's like a mystery. Yeah. You got, you got the bride respectfully, you know, following, heeding, regarding her husband and like willingly saying, like, I want to go with this guy. Mm. You know, I want to, I want to hear his heart. I want to be where he is. I want to pursue what he's pursuing. And then you have a husband who's saying, I want to lead her so well and Mm. so carefully and so gently. And I want to serve her so beautifully. And I have a vision for her future and what she could become. And I'm going to create an environment that Mm. is just so lovely and to borrow your word you know it's i mean like this to me is real romance yeah where it's she can grow into the most beautiful version of herself Mm. possible i mean that's what jesus does for his people it's what he did for his disciples it's what he does for us and when that kind of marriage is happening what paul says is you can look at that marriage and you're seeing an earthly example of the mysterious relationship that the church has with Christ or is supposed to have with Christ. Yeah. Amen, man. I love that picture. It's so good. You go on in the article, Nate, to say that the truth that the church is married to Christ helps us greatly for relationship idolatry is all too easy to slip into, which I think is so true in our culture, our society. It can be so easy just to really hone in on just each other and to lose sight of the world around us and of our faith, of our Lord. So how does the church's connection to Jesus really help married couples within the church prioritize their marriage correctly? Like, What does that relationship between us and God do mm-hmm. for our marriage within the context of just our community? Well, the, the point that I was trying to make there is, is this. If our earthly man and woman, male-female marriages are merely a picture of the true and legitimate marriage between Christ and his bride, his Mm -hmm. people, then what that helps us understand is that it's not that marriage between men and women was first, and then God Mm. was like, oh, that's such a cool picture. I'm going to borrow that for my relationship with them. No, it's the other way around. That was always God's desire and intention to be totally united together with his people. That's cool. And then marriage, as he authored it and gave it to human beings, became a way to express what he wanted between himself and people. So the reason why that helps us with just our own identity and helps us combat relationship idolatry and all of that is because it helps us put first things first. I mean, when I right. when I was in that stage of life where I was thinking about getting married and and all of that. One of the things I didn't, I wasn't one of these people that had like a, you know, 48 point list, you know, just all these stupid things. Like he, you know, she needs to be this tall or, you know, (laughs) I just didn't have any of that stuff. My big thing was she has to love Jesus more than me. Yeah. That was it. That was the 
big thing. She has to love Jesus more than me. I knew that all the other stuff, like, you know, like I knew I'd have to get along with her. I knew I would, I would be attracted to her. Like that was just not, it was going to be a non-starter, right? You know, I wasn't going to get down the track and just go like, man, I just don't really want to be around her. Mm. I don't like her and I'm not attracted to her, but man, she really loves Jesus. (laughs) No, I just knew all those other things. Like I didn't even need to put them on a list, Mm. but that one, that was the big thing. She's got to love Jesus more than me. She's got to be more into her quote unquote marriage to Christ than the one she's in with me. Because Mm. if that's right, then man, our marriage is going to be incredible for sure. But if I'm like this idol and I'm the, the, you know, the, the marriage to me is the thing that's going to satisfy her and Mm. fulfill her and all of that. And I'm in that number one position and Jesus is secondary. I just know like that's not going to be good. And Mm. same with me toward her. You know, I have to love Christ more than I love anybody else, Mm. you know, here on earth. And that, of course, gives me a capacity to be more loving toward her than I could ever be if she was my prime target. Mm. So, you know, that's that's how it helps to get those um, re- get relationship idolatry dealt yeah. with, which I, to, to be honest, as I'm just thinking about it, I think a lot of people in your generation struggle with that. Oh yeah. I don't know if it's like the Instagram man. thing or, or what, but it's like, there's this image that people get the of these of just mm-hmm. perfect relationships and like the way it should look and all the quality time we're going to have together and mm-hmm. all of that. And, and it's, I think it's really easy. I mean, it's easy in any generation for various reasons to find your identity in another person. Uh, and marriage is beautiful. Marriage is great. I mean, I love it. I, I mm. think it's wonderful. I have a great marriage. I'm so thankful to God for the wife that he's given to me. You know, I mean, we just, she's my best friend and we love each other. We are romantic with each other. I mean, it's incredible, but mm. you just have to be careful that you don't, uh, idolat- uh, uh, idolize that that person and that relationship so i think this line really helps us understand okay that's where it's supposed to go so good um that's powerful stuff i I thought we could just kind of wrap this up nate um talking about the roles of a husband and a wife within marriage you've already talked about a little bit and talked about just the power of what marriage can point to and how honors the lord but if you could just talk to the person who's listening to this right now maybe their marriage is tough right now maybe they're not in a marriage that's really honoring the lord maybe there's roles that have been kind of reversed a little bit can you give us just a a refresher on what what helps a a relationship thrive a marriage thrive what can a woman do and what can a man do to really help that sure yeah i mean one encouragement i would give would be to say hey I've given a lot of teaching on Mm -hmm. the full Ephesians 5 passage. We're talking about two verses today. And everything that came before this is really helpful to Mm -hmm. looking at the wife's role, the husband's role, in a more robust kind of way. So I would encourage somebody to go back and either listen or read because they're in both forms. Mm -hmm. But what is really neat about Ephesians 5 verse 33 is that it's all of the advice 
not advice, that's too weak of a word, Mm -hmm. all of the scriptural mandates that are given in Ephesians 5, it's all of them put in capsule form. So Mm -hmm. you know the idea of a capsule, right? right? You ingest it and then it begins to dissolve and then it expands and goes throughout your whole bloodstream. So this is an encapsulation of what came before. And the encapsulation is this. However, he says, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So let me say three things about that little encapsulation. First of all, each one in the marriage is supposed to focus on their own role. That's what he says Mm -hmm. there. He says, let each one of you, and then he gives the directions. You see, you can't control your spouse. You can't make them do anything. The husband can't make his wife follow him, respect him, you know, be allegiant to him in any way. He can't make that take place. But what he can do is he can love his wife as Christ loved the church. He can lay down his life for her. And uh, this opposite is true for the wife. She can't make her husband love her. She can't make him behave in a certain way, but she can lovingly, devote, devotedly follow after uh, her husband. All right, so you have to focus on yourself. You have to think about your own role. But, but secondly, we're given the husband's advice there first or counsel there first, command first. Let each one of you love his wife uh, as himself. So the way I like to think about this is that I don't know that this is always totally true, but the way I like to think about it is this. Husbands tend to naturally respect their wives Hmm. and wives tend to naturally love their husbands. It's not that wives don't need respect and husbands don't need love. It's that if between the two, respect and love, the one the husband's going to be better at is just respect towards his yeah. wife. And what I mean by that is it's pretty natural for me to look at what Christina does and just think she's incredible. Like, I don't know how she does that. She yeah. had three babies. She, <laughs> you know, is so intelligent. She's such a hard worker. Yeah. I mean, it's very easy for me to be impressed and mm. in a respectful kind of way of her. But then it's not as natural for me to... uh not just say, I feel love for mm. you, but to live it out. I think, yeah. on the other hand, for a, a woman, a lot of times, it's natural to love. It's natural to uh, be affectionate and speak kind words and to mm-hmm. be tender. Again, I might be painting with a broad brush right now. I'm sure I am. But I think there are some generalities here that might be true. Uh, whereas the respect you know, and following in that kind of way, that's harder to come by. Also, it seems that the thing that Paul exhorts each to give is what the other needs more of in the first place. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just lights a man up to know, man, you, you think the world of me, Mm -hmm. you think I make good decisions. You think I've got good dreams and plans. You think I can do it. You know, Mm -hmm. it, it just, helps him excel you know Mm -hmm. and to to know man she's she's in my corner like she really believes in me 
And then it helps a wife excel when that love and kindness and sacrifice from her husband are flowing towards Mm -hmm. him. So the husband is told to love his wife as himself because that's what she needs. And then thirdly, lastly here, the wife is told to respect her husband because this is what the husband needs. So I love the way Paul says it here, you know, that he says to that a wife is to respect her husband because I think it helps give clarity or a little bit of color to what he said to the wives at first. He just gave them a couple of verses, but he did talk about submission to Mm -hmm. the husband. We know that submission is different than just stark obedience. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason that we know that is because when you get to chapter six, where he deals with the children and fathers and then the slaves and the masters, Uh, He tells the children to obey or the slaves to obey, but he doesn't tell the wife to obey. He uses a different word. He could have kept the preacher thing going and used the same word for all three camps, but he didn't do that. With the wives, it was a different kind of word. And although in our modern world, that word is scary to many people, I don't think it's a scary word. It means that one equal makes a decision to come her her equal, her husband, she decides, I'm going to come under his lead for the health and the betterment and the success of this marriage and family. This is what we do with Jesus. We're not mm-hmm. equal with Jesus in any way, shape, or form, but he has made us co-heirs with himself, so yeah. he's pulled us up to his level. Again, we're not equal with mm-hmm. him. We're not deity. Don't misunderstand me. But we make a decision to come under him. And when we come under him, when we follow him, when we respect him, the church does better. When we think we're in charge, the church is terrible. (laughs) So this is what's being said here about marriage. A wife is told to respect her husband. So I think that helps us understand the the significance of the submission word as well. There's a there's a like uh, an honor, a respect, like man, I wanna I wanna follow him, kind of thing. So I just love that encapsulated form of this council. So yeah, there it is, the recap of Paul's uh, directions to husbands and wives. Thanks for tuning in today. If you'd like to hear some more content from Pastor Nate, please subscribe to the Jesus Famous Podcast. Each week we'll be posting conversations just like the one you just heard, as well as some live readings that Pastor Nate is posting a couple times a week. For any more articles, books, or resources from Pastor Nate, please go to nateholdridge.com. Catch you next week.